Hey everyone, I'm Tari. Hello everyone, I am Bree. And this is CSI Talk. Welcome back. Another week, another episode of CSI Talk. Hi. Before we get into today's episode, we just want to let you all know that this is a safe space for you. This is always going to be a safe space, regardless of your gender, of your race, regardless of what is happening right now. It is a safe place, okay? This is a safe way. Just one thing before we get into sexuality, visibility, as we said last week, but it is also, it's also suicide prevention month. Chris? Even though I did not know you well, you're always in my thoughts. Did struggle with it for a very long time during my teenage years. I don't think of my teenage years very fondly, the table bed. And the finale of CSI, the original finale, has a bit of a sour taste in my mouth because the day after it ended, I found out a kid in my class. Because of that, I remember that whole weekend. If you're looking for a sign that you should reach out for help, this is a sign that you should reach out for help. Because it, it is incredibly difficult to take that first step. And it is okay to ask for help. If you cannot get that help inside your house, sometimes even in our household, sometimes our own family, our family members, they are from different generations. So taking therapy, it, it is being, it is what's sad with prejudice by them. It's cleared search for help outside of your home, or if not, search for help online. Just don't yeah. do better help. They've, I've a lot of people say bad things about better help. Yeah, I mean, if you guys follow famous YouTube channels, they do tend to promote better health a lot. That's where it's really bad things about better health. Because better health, most of the times, they don't really have with a licensed professionals, even though they did say they do. Most of them is just life coaches that got their diplomas through an online course. And you know? a lot of them lead toward religious ones and they try to they try to to kind of convert you say that and also talk down about the obgtbqia plus yeah we do know that this community does i have any piece of about suicide because of the lack of acceptance that they feel among their family but i do know for a fact that at least here in the country and i know for sure that the United States also provide that. The government, they do provide help crisis line that you can call for in the United States case, you can also text them. Here in the country, you have to call them. Let me just get the number for you. Oh, here in the country, Brazil is just a three-digit number. It's three. The call is free. So if you need to call someone, people here in the country, Brazil, 
all you have to do is call the number 188. Okay, you just have to call the number one. Call them. There's going to be somebody on the, on the other line to just listen to you. And it's also a three-digit number here in the States. It's 988. Yes, there's an, a 10-digit number you can call, but it would be routed to 988. So I'm not going to worry about giving them that 10-digit number, but 988. Yeah, you just call them. There's going to be somebody on the other line just to listen to you. I called them before once, and it was in the middle of the night, and they had nobody to talk to. And they always had a panic attack, and I called them, and there was somebody, and I didn't even need to tell them my name or my age. I just told them what was going on, and the person would be everywhere and just stood with me for two hours on phone. I was worried, just listening to me. Just call me and call them how you feel because I don't want to lose you. I don't want to lose anyone. Because this is a family here. It's our okay. show, this is family. There are reasons to stay alive. Even for today. Can you do that for us? Just, just for today? Be your favorite film. Listen to your favorite music artist. Watch your favorite movie. Or CSI. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a show about, it's, it's a whodunit show, but I mean, it's a struggle one of the show if you're listening to us, right? Your, your life is worth it. It's so much worth it than what other people say, or sometimes what your mind makes you believe. It's, it's a lot of work. It, it, it might not seem bad. You have the light at the end of its tunnel right now, but there is one, although it seems very far away. But you're gonna get there. I know you are, and we love you. We I love y'all. We love you very much, and we want you to get fighting because we know you can. We know you are strong enough. Okay, we know you can do it. You just have to keep going, even though it's the hardest thing you can do, even though. Nice and impossible for you to keep going, just keep going. Well, today's episode, it's Blue Taylor episode. It's episode six of season five. It was written by Sarah Goldsinger. She writes some of the best episodes from CSI franchise. The official synopsis is while investigating a chop up body on the grounds of the WLBU. The team finds out that they are dealing with a blue cake sailor again. The case gets confusing when the team finds out that the victim was male. Shortly after that, they find another body belonging to a female. The blue cake sailor, we're going to remind you all who he was. The last time we talked about him, I think it was a long time ago. On our Spirit Killers episode, which we'll list it below. But it, Bye. yeah, we'll list it below. So the name of the victim is Joel Averett Haywood III. And everyone this is in- the episode, somebody really thought you prison. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's Fraternity Hell Week at WLBU. And it's night. Just picture the scene. It's night out and it's probably cold. We see a blindfolded wedge running from fraternity members. Look, didn't they think this through? Why would they blindfold this poor guy that just came out of high school? 
Isn't that this hard is enough? News. Okay, but isn't it crazy enough for the guy to be tied with his hands behind his back? That's wearing, crazy. Wearing and- women's underwear. Now you have to blindfold the guy and he's literally running in the cold of the night. What if he falls and breaks some of his bones? But also, this is hazing mostly involved with fraternities and sororities. Mostly fraternities. Well, so he's running, and then he trips and he falls. And then the fraternity guy said, and we're African, they're all disgusted. And he's like, dude, what is on my face? And there are a lot of maggots on his face. <laughs> and there are a lot of maggots on the ground. Bruce is called to the scene. And he's talking to the head of the Department of Agriculture. And he asked for a cup of tea without the tea bag. And so just hot water. <laughs> well, technically, yeah. So he grabs some of the, the maggots and puts inside the inside the cup of tea. And then he ties a human too. He tells the head of the department that it would not have been a dead animal because that animal would not have attracted that many maggots. They were most likely looking at body dog. Grissom realized that there were at least 100 pounds of flesh. On the next day, Grissom and Nick, they are going through the maggots. And Nick, he's like, Grissom, why is it so hot? And Grissom is like, well, it's because the maggots are working, getting through the flesh, and they're producing a lot of energy. That's why we're feeling this, the heat. And that's also why when you eat food, it has the potential to become energy. Hence the name, stored potential energy. Thank you, Bill Grissom, for this explanation. Nick tells Grissom that he doesn't think that this will be a body dump because how come nobody would realize that a dead body would be there when everybody would just go on their merry way? And Grissom just picks up a piece of bone and he says, well, this piece is a very uniform. They are, they are the same exact size. Grissom just lives next himself and just go and looks for a wood chipper because among the bones and the maggots he found he goes and finds a guy that is chopping wood he questions the, the guy like oh what a human body fit through here and the guy's like yeah Grissom starts to check for blood on the machine and the guy that is using the machine says that the wood would have probably absorbed all of the blood that there was on the machine. So instead of getting his luminol and all just spraying on it to look for blood, Grissom gives another method, which is pouring some other substance. If there's any scientists who probably know, listening, probably know what substance he used, whatever. So he sprays that and he swabs it and he realizes that, yes, there was, at some point, there was a human body in there. Because there was blood. They go back to the lab with all the maggots and everything. Mia, she couldn't get any DNA because the tooth that Grissom found was a porcelain chrome. Grissom cuts a maggot open to get a DNA. I think Grissom really loves doing these autopsies on bugs. Anyways, Greg is going through the maggots. I'm pretty sure Nathan's having the time of his life because he's like, 
Oh, you're on the clock. In 12 hours, these maggots are going to turn into flies. I wonder what they did with the maggots after they got what they needed. There's some probably returned them to, to nature, didn't you? They probably did. Anyways, Catherine comes to Greg to see whatever he found. He tells Catherine that aside from dirt, he found shreds of black plastic from a garbage bag else with a sticky blue substance on it. Catherine realizes that it's actually a fingernail. She goes to where Sarius and she tells her to leave because she has Catherine. to run. Yeah, she has to run the evidence. Sarah is reluctant at first, but she lets Catherine run the fingernail and the machine concludes it that what the sticky substance on the fingernail was actually. She goes to Grissom and she tells him what she found. And it's very dramatic because Adrian tells Grissom that she found the sticky substance, blue paint with motor oil. And Grissom just turns back, looks at her, and says, He's back. <laughs> so dramatic. That is the bullpen killers. We cut to Brass and Catherine briefing every police officer at PD about who the bullpen killer was. The bullpen killer, starting from 1987, he killed three women on the the campus of WLBU. Joe Matters, he was caught and sentenced to death for the murder of the third victim, Charlene Roth, because that was the victim they were able to really test the evidence to convict him. But on the night of his execution, the body of Debbie Reston was found with the same exact MO. But they found out that Joe Matters was the copycat of the Bulldog killer. And the original killer was still on the loose. The MO that the killer used it was to apply, apply blue paint mixed with motor oil to a railing to prevent the paint from drying. And the the female victim would touch the railing and then get her hands dirty and then she would use a nearby water fountain because the railing was always put near a water fountain to try and wash off the paint and then the suspect would sexually assault them and then kill them, strangulating them. The sexual assault assault would leave no trace of semen behind. The body would be dumped in a, a trash bag and dumped in plain sight. Catherine says that they're looking for a man of 35 years of age who wears glasses and may drive a Chevy with a black interior. While Catherine and Brass are briefing the police officers about the blue paint killer, he tells everyone that the blue paint killer is sadistic and a ritualistic sociopath. They conclude that he's sadistic by the way he treats his victim. It becomes very apparent when you watch the episode, especially in the part that they found the comic book. For the bullpen killer, women are just mere objects. And of course, in our reality, there are actual men that make women own objects. Hate them. Ritualistic killer means that they have a ritual that they have to follow, and which means that the bullpen killer 
had to apply a railing that had voltage mixed with water oil, which would lead then the victim to wash their hands, which would let them be vulnerable enough for them to be attacked. That was the ritual for them. That was the ritual aspect for them. Sociopath, it's, there's a difference between the psychopath and the sociopath. The sociopath means that they can, in a little sense, a sociopath can actually have a few many relationships in life, a few meaningful relationships. In the case of the Blue Pink Killer, as we're going to see by the end of the episode, it did have a good relationship with Joe Matters, probably with some other people, but not a lot of people. He will probably only have the relationship with men, not women, because by the way he treated the victims, they were strictly female, meant that he would not have like a relationship with women. Also, Catherine says that serial killers do change their victims and their MO. This is proven to be true. Serial killers do change their MOs or the victims because out of necessities or because they get bored. When they say that the bullpen killer is at least 35, it's because the killings started 20 years ago in their timeline. This episode came out in 2004, which would mean that he would have started killing by the end of his teenage years and in his early 20s. So that's a lot of time to be killing people, but he would have probably changed his MO because they got bored. Since Joe Maddox was the copycat, he had to adapt his MO because now he was doing stuff on his own. Mia, she tells Grissom that the DNA they got from the maggot was male. And Grissom's like, are you absolutely sure? Like, seriously, that meme, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? That's literally Grissom for like five times when Mia tells him that the DNA was male. Yes, the vi- their victim was a man. It was not a woman. It was not a, a girl. But Grissom, Greg, he is able to find a key with a fraternity symbol. So Catherine and Nick, they identify the fraternity and they go there and they talk to, I think, the head of the fraternity. And the head of the fraternity tells them that the pledges are told to swallow the key on the first night of Cal Week and retrieve it by the end of the week. Look, dude, what if someone gets an infection from it? There are so many ways that this could go wrong. So many ways. When Nick and Catherine ask them if any of them are missing the head of the fraternity, Shows them a picture of Joe Avery Haywood III or Johnny. Johnny has long blonde hair in the picture, and they are told that he has been missing to Slidewick. Nick wants his hairbrush and toothbrush to match the DNA that they have. And two pledges come in at these exact moments. One of them has little paint on their hands. So Catherine and, and Chris, they find the railing, and Chris, I'm like, why is not I make signs this before? And, and Grissom is really all over the place in this episode. He's really nervous in this episode. I mean, nervous with everyone except for one person. But anyways, 
Catherine tells Grissom that Nick was actually working some from schematics that campus securities and the railing wasn't on it. Previously, Bullpen Taylor was painting the railings that existed on the campus. Grissom realizes is installing. This is a big shift. While they are trying to find any evidence on it, Grissom mentally deciding that they are taking this whole thing back to the lab. They find a trash bag under a bench near where they are, and there's long hair, long hair sticking from it. So they look at each other, they're like, oh, damn, we have another body. But Catherine calls in for backup to tell Brass that they might have another body. Grissom opens the bag. If they potentially have another body, why would, wouldn't they wait for the corridor? Right? Anyways, Grissom opens the bag, but he actually finds a, a doll. Grissom tells Catherine that the killer knew they would find this, and he's taunting them. He's, he's taunting the CSIs because the, the killer knew it was coming to an end, this chase. Back in the lab, they open the trash bag, and they put the doll on their layout table, and they realize that inside the doll's mouth, they, there is, hold it up, with a blonde hair on it. And Grissom knows that all of the body of the previous victims when they found the body on John Matters' execution, they also found the hair of a previous victim. The note inside the doll said, I have her. Great. The hair that they found belonged to Debbie Reston. So Grissom starts to process the note and he realizes there is actually a drawing of trigger warning. Okay, because this is this is how the sadistic nature of the killer comes into play. The drawing that Grissom finds is of a bound and gagged woman. And the drawing has some furniture in the background and the backwards lettering in the upper corner. Catherine says that yeah, we knew, like, we been knew, okay? We knew that the killer was an artist already because we had the evidence to prove it. Warwick, Grissom, Nick, and Catherine, they are trying to brainstorm what the drawing meant. And they realized that the killer was sitting in the front seat of the van and drawing the victim while she was tied up in the bed. Grissom was like, oh, maybe he couldn't look her in the eye. Grissom was like, oh, maybe he was strong enough to... Kidnap her, tie her up, do all the things that he does, but he put her in the eye. Ward says that the fibers that they found on Debbie Reston's body are consistent with the Chevy, and the windows that they have on the drawing are consistent with the Chevy. Ray, Nick recognizes the letters, the backwards letters, and he realizes that they are from Erotica Boutique, so Tropic Condom. I wonder how Nicky Boy knew that. Okay. They go to the parking lot of the shop and they find Daisy, find the, the, the shabby van. They open the van and they actually find the dead body, another woman. And they find the air pump on the floor today, which was used to inflate the doll that they have back in the lab and beer bottles. So Catherine says that they most likely were used to definitely assaulted the victims. Catherine also says that that would explain why they never found the killer's semen on the victims, but they found indications of sexual assault. 
Grissom talks to the clerk of the shop and tells him that all the transactions are attached and there's no security or camera. But Grissom does find a comic book and the drawing are really similar to the one they have back in the lab. He finds out that the guy that draw that is known as ZBT, and he traded the artwork for one of the dolls. But the guy had no information on ZB, but he tells Grissom that he was a white guy on his 40s, brown hair, shorter than Grissom. He will be right, because that is the physical description of the Golden Killer. Back in Autopsy, also known as my favorite sequence in the CSI episode, Doc Robbins tells Catherine that the victim, who is still a Jane, Jane Doe, is a blue paint killer victim. She has blue paint on her hands. She has evidence of sexual assault. And look at her marks on her neck. Catherine realizes that the victim that they have is really similar to Johnny Haywood. Both victims have really long blonde hair. Catherine realizes that Johnny's murder was a mistake. The killer made a mistake. Catherine says that the, the theory that they had that he chose his victims at random is wrong because he targeted that Jane Doe specifically. I don't know about that. I don't know. It, just, it doesn't make any sense for me that he would choose her specifically. I think. Then he, he actually confirms that in the end. It was a mistake. The, the, the death of Johnny was a mistake in the end. The Blue Bay Killer says that what actually happened is that he mistaked Johnny for a girl because he couldn't look. And he didn't have his glasses and the surgery that he had done in his eyes it didn't work. And the surgery that he had done in his eyes didn't work, so he killed Johnny literally by mistake. If he wanted to kill a girl, he thought Johnny was a girl, but in fact, it was just a mistake. Anyway, they identified the victim as Kaylee Rakish, a student of WLBO. So Catherine is talking to her roommate, Mandy Cooper, and Mandy says that they spent the, their last days together and says, Mandy says that they have a class called Introduction to the Female Form, and their professor is Cody Lewis. And Cody Lewis was one of the main suspects in the past for the Blue Pain Killer. So, Brass. Dun 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 dun. Plot twist. Brass is now questioning him. He brought him for questioning. And he shows him the comic books from that, that Grissom had brought to, to the lab. But Cody says that the drawing isn't his and that the artist has no technique. But he tells Brass that his life was villain in hell because he matched the profile. Of a serial killer, and Brass had no idea how far that was. And Brass is like, "Well, but you used to have a chubby man. You, you dated the first victim. You, you returned to the campus. Coincided with the fourth murder. Bigley was in your evening class. But I mean, essentially, they have no evidence against this guy. I mean, he really matched the profile to a T. But they had no evidence against him. Greg and Nick, they are processing the van." Inside, they find a WLVU parking pass from 1986 and a pair of broken eyeglasses. Nick says that the evidence 
indicates that Debbie Reston's broke her killer's glasses to your fracture. And they found out that the VIN number was scratched off and the registration was expired. Bragg is in the inside of the van and he finds a black powder and he asks Nick, like, oh, did you spill a print powder inside of me? You know? And Nick kind of looks up to me like, oh, no, I didn't. And Bragg, yeah, yeah, but actually, I was really quickly. And uh, collects the counter to take it to Trace. Jackie tells Sarah that the prints from the dashboard and radio mirror of the van match the partial prints that was listed from the trash bag that Debbie Reston was found two years ago. And Catherine and Warwick, they are going over the lives of the victims and they realize that none of them had anything coming. I'm back to different. Because all of them were students of WLBU, right? Well, that's yeah. like the common ground. No, that's like, that's what everybody would have in common. They're talking to... Yeah, I know. If they were all students, if I was working with them, I'd be like, look, they were all students. The killer, I know we're working with the killer's hunting ground here, but they all must have something else in common besides being a student on different... Besides the obvious, besides being a student there, there must be something here. Because they probably didn't have their meals on the same hour, all that. But if they had found the common denominator, it would have saved them so much time in trouble. Because they were looking for someone that had been the WLB for more than 20 years. And I'm pretty sure that... There's not a lot of people working on that university that would feed their criteria anyway. Sarah, she's going through the comic book pages frame by frame. And like, how did Sarah did that? I don't know. I think she had to have a pretty cold mind going through that. Because she's taking notes of everything she sees. Yeah, pretty Take specific. Nick tells Rissom about everything that they found on the van. About the VIN numbers, license plates. She tells some that the parking pass from 1986 belonged to Joe Matters. The partial VIN number is also a match to Joe Matters. It means that somebody else was driving his van. Nick, Nick tells Russ that he doesn't think that they are looking for a seller in the copycat. They think they're looking for a team. And Grissom looks at Nick like, what the, f you know, why, how come they didn't see that sooner? It makes perfect sense why they wouldn't see that before, but Nicky Boy, he went there and he did his thing and he probably broke his case. Nick is watching an interview with Joe Matters, was done a week before he was executed. And, and watching interviews done for serial killers right before their death is always extremely creepy. Well, I took a class called Adam was Psych at my local college. Community college. We watched the final interview of Ted Bundy. Wow. Now many people would like, like, that's why for the longest time, but not because of Ted Bundy interview, but because of that class. I cannot watch Big Bang Theory because I hated how everybody was treating children. You know, I think this is a good opportunity. Stop romanticizing serial killers. Yeah. Stop. Just, just, just and stop. And I don't know if you guys have seen it. But after that show was a hit show on Netflix last year, challenge of people were dressing up as him. And white people, white couples were dressing up like, were dressing up their little boys 
like Jeffrey Dahmer and putting fake prosthetics in buckets and having their kids carry around on Halloween. One thing is to watch films like BSI and Criminal Minds and Law and Order. Another thing is romanticize this thing, okay? So stop romanticizing serial killers, okay? We don't need that, okay? This is coming from someone who's been studying damn for a very long time, okay? I've said this once, okay? I've said this before on this show. You need to have a lot of mental strength to study this type of evil on this, this type of story because as much as I love CSI and Criminal Minds, after I spent the entire day studying this horrific crimes and dealing with this, I have to literally watch something else to take my mind off it. You know what I watch? I've literally been watching Big Car Directions. And see, I'm telling you, I've told her to watch something like after she does the mini head stuff. Also, this is also coming from me because my mom knew a victim of the Green River Killer. Do not bloody romanticize. I'm saying that's why I don't say, well, that's a guy's fault. Serial killers. Seriously, you guys, it's, there's a reason why those serial killers are classified as sociopaths or psychopaths, okay? Or have an, what's called antisocial disorder. It's definitely being antisocial, but because that's just when you just don't want to socialize. Let's think about antisocial disorder, which springs off of conduct disorder, which kids, some kids have. One in 100 people have antisocial disorder. Can you hear me? So, as I said before, please stop romanticizing serial killers. Okay, Luther, please. It's depressing, and then if people think they're sealed, no, they're not sealed. Because if these guys saw you, they will probably kill you. The trash doesn't kill you. They would kill you. Okay. Let's look at you that they watched the interview for Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy would know how to actually talk to you. He would tell you. Well, he knows that's how he that's how he got people in his car. He sweet talked them. Yeah, okay. He will not sweet talk you. He will not make love to you. He would tell you. That's what you get for making Floyd Bolton play him in the movie. Okay, he would kill you. Next, watch the interview that was conducted a week before John Matters died. And next was happened that for 15 years, while Joe Matters was in prison, the only visitor he ever had was his lawyer. Nothing in his files says that he had any communications with any partner at any time. Sarah tells them that the fingerprint that they have from the binding of the comic book was a match to the one they had on the van and on the garbage bag from a dead arrested. For some as Sarah, almost for interpretation, some of the comic books, and Sarah says that the artist is dominant, disassociative, sexual sadist, which kind of aligns with what Bryce said. Well, the killer was. The killer is dominant, yes. If Nick was right, and it was a partnership, this killer was a dominant, was the dominant partner. And disassociated would, would mean that not that he's distant from the world would mean that he would only connect when absolutely necessary. 
and sexual status. If you watch the episode, you pretty much get the idea, but he would only get the release that he was looking for if he absolutely turned women to nothing and sexually called them. Next said that a person psychiatrist diagnosed John as a psychopath, but he had a dependent personality disorder. And he was already predisposed to violent crimes, but he needed encouragement, so which means that if he was being submissive in their relationship, when we say dominant and submissive, we do not mean in the SM type, we mean in the if you watch Criminalize, you probably get what I'm saying. Dominant would mean that the actual bullpen killer would encourage John Matters to commit those crimes. He would be the leader. They know that John actually assaulted that arrested because his pubic hair was found on her body. They know that there was her vaginal contribution was found on the neck. Of the bigger bottles that was recovered from the van. It was possible that John Matters was working as the killer quote unquote sorcery. Yeah, so they wonder why there was a murder on uh, the night before the, the execution of John Matters and the university of the second year after the execution, but not on the one year anniversary. Why was there a pause in between? We don't know why it happened. Hodges breaks. They are brainstorming. It says that the Black Founder was actually made ink for commercial coffee machines. But Catherine says that three different victims were last seen on the campus coffee union. Anyways, so Brett finds out that one of the employees that works there, Kevin Greer, fits the profile, the killer's profile, and he has been working there for more than 10 years. You know, so they get inside and the other, other employee tells Brass that Kevin just left. Catherine finds the black powder inside a trash bag and she asks if the, if Kevin ever uses the vending machine to buy his atomic book to which the employee agrees. But the police get a warrant to search Kevin's house and when they get there, they find pictures of women and a paint mixer. Catherine realizes that the killer was mixing his own paint so they wouldn't be able to trace it back to him. The phone rings. Oh, a jump scare if you're really into this episode. Kevin's on the other end of the line and he says, Las Vegas, Las Vegas finest. He said that if they had found out who he was, then they had to meet him. But he tells them to take a go look at his apartment, but they he would be waiting for them at the station. Sarah is left processing the house while Catherine, Grissom, and Brass go back to the station. Only Grissom and Brass, they are questioning Kevin Greer. He gives them a very detailed description, but he says that he will gradually strangle his victims instead of doing it in one shot because after he tells them that how many times have you imagined the size of my hands? Okay. Ask him about his glasses, and Kevin said that Daddy broke them, so he got LASIK surgery. And Grissom's like, oh, that's why you missed last year's anniversary. 
And, and then Octavia's like, yes. And my night vision still sucks. Okay. He tells Grass that he tried to actually talk Joan out of killing Charlie Ross, but he couldn't. Because he didn't want it to kill Charlie Ross. That was the thing. Joan wanted to do it by himself. And he didn't want it to do it. And he did it anyway. He was caught. And he actually tells Grayson Grissom that Joe Maddox was his his soulmate. Great. Why don't everything is going on? He's actually he's catching something. Catherine and Sarah, they find a freezer with drawing of all the victims and loss of their hair and plastic bags. But there are actually six victims. One of the victims, Greek Moscow, is the one that they don't know about. Catherine tells Grissom about it. Grissom asks Kevin, where is Great Moscow? And Kevin's like, oh, I can take it to her. You're gonna need a full tank of gas. How couldn't they see that this man was lying? Anyways, so they get ready to leave, but Kevin's like, oh, let me use the bathroom. Okay. Sarah realizes she's calling WLVU to chat. It's, they really don't have any Britney or Great Moscow, and they don't. So Sarah realizes that Great Moscow is, is just her anagram for Miss October. She calls Catherine and tells her about about it. And Catherine tells Grissom, she's a warning for this last scene. Grissom and Brad, they go to the restroom and they found out that Kevin Greer actually ended his life. Grissom go back to the interrogation room and he looks at whatever Kevin was catching. He finds a lot of image of Kevin being tortured and scared in the reflection of Grissom's glasses. That is creepy. Grissom turns the drawing on the sides and he sees smaller images of the victims. It scares to death as well. And then he sees the words goodbye. This episode is great. Kind of happy, but great. So, what are we talking about next week? We're talking about gumdrops. Oh, gumdrops. I was watching this episode today. No, Grissom on this episode, but it's eccentric. And how did Sarah know what Grissom was? Well, we have our series, don't we? Yep. And this episode. I know some behind-the-scenes stories I have of this episode. Well, we have our series. It's not it's our own headphones. It's not a consensus among the fandom, but it's our headphones. So, thank you so much for listening. We love you thank so you. much. And please, 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 stay safe and keep going. We love you. Love y'all. Bye. Bye.